Welcome back. It's week two of the NBA Recap Show here on the Mojo Sports Network. I'm your host, Alexander Jay, host of the fantastic podcast, B-Ball Bites. Here with me, three NBA sickos from the mean streets of Melbourne, a fantasy team fanatic, Julian Balthazar. How are you, my friend? Hey, guys. So good to be here. It feels like I finally made it to the big leagues. All those years of just looking through stats has finally helped me get here. So thank you for having me, boys. Next, out of Perth, it's the Mini Basketball Cyclopedia, Yuri Bilsic. How are you? Great, Alex, and great to be back on with Julian and Tom for another week. And it's had its results thus so far, too. The Phoenix Suns have probably not off, got off to the ideal start that they've wanted to, two and four. Orlando's been one of the early surprises, which has been great to see. I think most of us saw them at least taking the next step or two to potentially making the playing tournament this year. So, all things looking pretty good on both the Eastern and Western Conference. Tom, my friend, Mr. Tom Dave, our sports journalist out of Melbourne. This might be the last time we see you for a couple of weeks. How are you? Uh, well, the, the Celtics are 5-0. and oh. I'm surprised you have to ask. Uh, I'm, feeling pretty, <laughs> we'll get there. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. Despite, despite spending the day yesterday at the races, I'm feeling pretty good, and I'm pumped to, uh, to talk basketball today, that's for sure. All right, if you haven't joined us before, uh, we talk about the emerging stats, the stories, the trends in basketball. At the end of every week, this is week two in the NBA, uh, we'll get to Chet, we'll get to Wemby, we'll get to all the news. Tom, we'll stick with you looking around the NBA week two. What's the first thing you want to talk about? It can be the Celtics if it wants to be. No, no, I thought we'd uh, we'd give them a bit of a break since our schedule has been quite easy. But I thought I'd talk about the Sad Suns over in Phoenix. Uh, the expectation coming into the season was that they would be one of the best from the get-go. Uh, you'd have Durant, Beal, and Booker, and they'd be fit and firing. But, you know, first game of the season and Beal was already out and we're yet to see him take the court. He's missed all six games. I mean, I feel like that's kind of gone under the radar. Imagine if this was Anthony Davis or Kawhi. I feel like that would be headline news and he'd be getting a lot of criticism and all the talkback shows. Haven't heard much about it. Booker only played two games. That's not a great start to the season either. Suns are two and four with wins against the Warriors on, on their opening night, which is great. But then the other one against the Jazz, which is so-so. Two losses in a row against the Spurs, which that, that first loss was horrendous. They had that we'll game talk about in the bag. It. Yeah, we'll talk about it, but that was just horrendous. And then look, it's just too much on Durant this early in the season. I mean, six, six games in and all of a sudden Durant's their whole offense and he's 35. I, I feel like we forget how old he is. He was drafted in 2007, I think. He's 35, and he's had a lot of injuries lately, as well as having to already carry a heavy load in Brooklyn because Kyrie and Harden weren't playing. So uh, this is just danger signs for the Suns already. And really, if you want to look at how bad the scoring is outside of Durant, besides Durant and Booker this season, only twice has another Phoenix Sun player scored 20 or more points, and that was Eric Gordon on both times. So look, I'll throw it to you guys. I mean, how concerned should we be about the Suns at this stage, especially with Booker and Beal's injuries? Uh, just I before we go to you, I was going to bring up their next few games because it's an interesting run for the Suns before we go to you, Yuri. They got the Pistons next, so you would hope that's an early, like an easy victory. They play the Bulls, but then they've got the Lakers, the Thunder, and the Wolves all in a row. So a couple of, it's a big stretch there. Uh, what are your thoughts, Yuri? I think it's not the most promising start as it is, and although chemistry is going to take some time to gel, but this is Frank Vogel, right? And the teams that he had, especially the Indiana Pacers, which made those two consecutive conference finals appearances back in 2013-14, they're all staple of a defensive identity when he had the likes of George Hill, Lance Stevenson, Paul George, David West, Roy Hibbert there, and all of them were very good defenders. David West was probably 
the tier below, but he was always still very consistent and always produced effort. And I think that was always the sort of concern for the Suns going into the season is that how much can they buy in defensively? Because against the Spurs, right, in both meetings that have just transpired, they've leaked points like a sieve. And especially in that first half, right, in the second meeting against the Spurs, when you leak 75 points, and how many easy transitional wide-open threes did the Spurs get? There were so many right there that it wasn't even funny. And to the point where they're going to have to at least somehow at least buckle down and at least fight over screens. Because how often do we see right in the league with almost every single team, right, where a player will not square face on when they see the screen coming and sort of move side on just so that they don't get hit by the screen and expect their big man to sort of play drop coverage but at least be a presence in the paint. That's probably the worry at this stage because we see a lot with what the Suns have done and what Yusuf Nurkic did at Portland is that he plays a lot of drop zone in a way, drop coverage, and sometimes he'll hedge but most of the time it'll be the latter because he doesn't want to get beat off. And he's not a great rim protector. He's he's a good, well, sort of solid in a way, help defender if you want at the best of times. But that's the worry in that aspect. And I think also the other part too as well with what the Suns want to do, I think moving ahead is probably the threes as well. And I think Vogel's already emphasised they want to take a lot more triples. And that's something under Coach Monty Williams that the Suns usually rank like bottom five for three-point attempts. So we'll look for that to change. But when you have Bill, Booker, Durant, right, guys that all operate from the mid-range and usually take four, five, three-point attempts and don't normally take eight or nine, that's probably going to alter it a little bit. But it's not – it's – it's a reason why Grayson Allen came. It's a reason why Eric Gordon decided to sign with the Suns, Utah Watanabe, for more three-point shooting. But you can't just outscore opponents 130 to 125 and win. expect to win every single time because we saw it in the, I think it was the second game against the Lakers when their offense really dried up, right? They only scored 95 points in the end against the Lakers and so much was left on Durant. I think there was... Yeah, I think that's the problem, though, State. I yeah. would go slightly against the grain there, Yuri. Before we throw back to Jules, I think you can score 130 points and expect to win most nights if your three scorers are Devin Booker, who's an MVP candidate, uh, Kevin Durant, a past MVP winner, yes, injuries, yes, 35, and Brad Beal. I'm a bit lower on Brad Beal than a lot of other people are, but still pedigree and the shooting. This was a team clearly wanted to come in uh, and shoot the lights out. I've just checked the over-under. It was 52.5 at the start of the season. It's still 49.5. So the odds makers still think they're almost a 50-win team. Um, I can see Brad Beal's progress is improving with a back injury, but I've got no intel there. Jules, what are your thoughts on the Suns? Should we be worried? I think it's hard to be worried about them when we haven't seen them at their full potential yet. So, I mean, they haven't played a game with Booker, Beal, Durant, and Nurkic, which is such a strong lineup. So I was very big on the Suns before the year, and I still am. I think as soon as they get their players back, then we'll see what they're really like. At the moment, it's hard to judge them without all those players, so... Uh, Jules, we'll stick with you. What have you seen around the league this week? Yeah, well, I had a few stories to pick from, but I've actually diverted away from stories, and I wanted to talk a bit about us and some of our odds. It's still early days, but one thing that uh, stuck with me was Tom saying that James Harden's going to be traded to the Clippers and that Tyrese Maxey will be the uh, most improved player. Now, that is a heavy favourite at the moment at $3.10. Tyrese Maxey to be the most improved, and GC started on fire with his three-point shooting and his ball handling and just his general ability to get to the basket. But um, one that I had mentioned was Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year, was at $19. He's coming to $10 yep. now, so he's starting to 
show his defensive ability again, which he always had in him. He just had a really off season last year, and I think he's really starting to show why the Timberwolves brought him in. And another one that I wanted to mention was Scotty Barnes. I'm just loving what he's bringing for the Raptors at the moment. I think at six foot nine to you know be able to ball handle, be able to rebound. I think the lowest number of rebounds he's had this year is eight. Yeah. He's gone from averaging 15 points, and now he's in his third season. Of course, these averages might you know decline a little bit when the season evens out. But at the moment, he's he's got 20 points in the last five games. He's, he's averaging 9.7 rebounds, 5.8 assists, which is a career high. Preaching to the choir, mate. Well. If, if you don't yeah, know, I'm Raptors, Raptors fan. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I'm, I'm a, and and Scotty Barnes is in my fantasy team as well, so I'm just loving watching him at the moment. But just been from watching a lot of Raptors games as well, I just love what he brings as a six foot nine player, and you know being able to. Bring so many versatile skills to the game. It's fantastic to watch. We might just interject on the Raptors. I don't know how you found watching Raptors games because they were ugly to watch last season and a half. How have you found them this year? The game against the Bucks is very interesting. It I watched was. that full game and, geez, Giannis and Lillard had no answer for them. And when you've got Schroeder dishing the ball out and getting 10 assists per game, which is something he's probably not used to, and you've got Scotty Barnes and Pascal knocking down threes, it's, uh, it shows their potential. Obviously, they haven't got off to the best start. I think, what are they, two and three or something? Um, uh, or two yeah, and four, even. That sounds about right. And, but they're, they're showing signs. They're showing signs that they can be a good team. And they do have the list uh, on paper, particularly in their starting five. So... Interesting to see if they can get some consistency. Yuri, what have you seen around the league so far in week two? I definitely will move away from the Bucks, but it's more in the Philadelphia <laughs> 76ers. And what they've been out of combat since trading James Harden and finally those months of just absolutely up and down fluctuations of seeing whether he does stay or not. What they've done, 4-1 and one this season, apart from Joel Embiid averaging those 25-plus points, 12 rebounds and 7 assists at this stage, which is a career high for him at this stage, there's been two other players which have considerably alleviated the load off Embiid, and that is Tobias Harris, who everyone knows that signed that five-year $180 million deal in the summer of 2019. They put him ahead of Jimmy Butler in terms of their priorities. And the other one, Kelly Oubre Jr., the former first-round pick back in 2015 out of the University of Kansas. He, over the last couple of seasons with Oubre, he's found a niche within the offense as well. And we probably saw that glimpses when he was at the Wizards, right? When I think the first nine or ten games that 17-18 season, which Markeith Morris missed, I think due to like a hernia injury or something, and he started in the power forward spot and really gave the Wizards a ton of energy, and that's what he's doing for the 76ers. And there's sort of this real release of freedom for him as well because I don't think many people would expect a, a substantial amount of scoring out of him, but considering when he does get hot as well from three, which he can be a bit sort of hit and miss at the best of times, but in that season opener against the Milwaukee Bucks when he scored 27 points, I think he hit, what, seven out of nine from three-point range, and it's those type of different dynamics that he brings to Philadelphia 76ers offense because I think this is going to be the real captivating part for Philadelphia now. They've just had that big two, if you want to call it that way, with Embiid and Maxi, and allow those guys such as Oubre Jr. and Tobias Harris to go on the radar because I think most people know, right, with Tobias, before he did come to the 76ers, when he was at Detroit, he was a handy scorer. But that was before... Well, after that, should I say, when he got traded to the LA Clippers as part of that Blake Griffin deal, that's when he flourished. And he became the Clippers' number one offensive option because they didn't have anyone else there to shoulder the load. And that's why he took up the mantle as well. And he did it consistently night in, night out. And I think most people tend to forget that. So 
I think this is the real release now that Harden's gone. He can have more of a impact on the offensive end and as will Oubre and off the bench as well. They've got a lot of solid contributors now. Robert Covington coming in as part of the Harden deal back to the 76ers where, of course, he was part of the process deal with Joel Embiid to get the City of Bradley Love back on track and hopefully get them back into the plus, which they've done since 2018. Nick Batum as well is another handy fit as well. He can play him at power forward, shooting guard, which he started in his career, a small forward. They have KJ Martin, which you think is in the Clippers' terms, he's thinking, how come did we let him go? Because the Clippers really needed a lot more athleticism, right? Because the average age on their roster is, what, 28, 29 years old. So I think that's a real benefit for the 76ers moving ahead as well, that they've got these complementary role players that can actually provide as well. And it's not just with the scoring punch, but it's on the defensive defensive punch because you know very well Alex too we've coached Nick Nurse's defensive and offensive schemes he likes to mix it around a fair bit and I think those three players will fit to an absolute T within his system and I think it's a really good result for the 76ers moving forward as well and if they do continue the way they are and most will probably still have them under the pecking order from the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks and they can be one of those sneaky teams once more. Yeah, four and one, Tom and Jules. I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, Philly. Good win today. Uh, uh, Kelly Oubre has actually surprised me quite a lot this season. Um, Tom, we'll start with you. Must be feeling pretty good about that most improved pick. Yeah, look, it's about time I finally got something something right. <laughs> it's, you know, eventually, eventually something sticks. That's that's the motto. So just keep making predictions, everyone, and you'll get something right. But no, look, I, I'll admit I haven't watched a whole lot of Philly this season so far, but. Uh, it's impressive what they've been able to do with you know, the issues that they've had with Harden. And I'm going to talk about it in the next segment, but their trade return is a bit interesting, but they've got a move to make. And look, who knows? I mean, the Bucks uh, they're going to come right. Uh, you know, if, if I was, if, if the Celtics were struggling, I'd be saying the same thing. If they've got a new roster, they just got to click. Like the Bucks are going to come good. The Bucks will end up being the one or the two seed. I'd be surprised if they weren't. So the Sixers just really need to stick with that group, with the Celtics and the Bucks. And they, if they can get the three seed, who knows? Injuries can happen in the playoffs. Anything can happen. Then again, Embiid in the playoffs is just a completely different player. So who knows? But look, it's an encouraging start. And Nick Nurse is probably the front runner for Coach of the Year at the moment too. Yeah, actually, uh, underrated pickup, Jules. Yes, um, unlike Tom, I've actually had the privilege of watching every Sixers game this year. Somehow it's timed really well with my days off. So yeah, I've been loving watching them. I think... Uh, so surprised with Embiid. He still continues to amaze us with some of his stats and what he does. But yeah, Tyrese Maxey obviously stepping up and Oubre and Harris, as um, Yuri mentioned, completing the pieces of the puzzle. So it probably falls in the category of too early to tell, I think. Um, it, consistency, particularly when it comes to Harris and Oubre Jr., is probably a question mark we still have. But no, fantastic start for them nonetheless. All right. Uh, things I've noticed around the league in week two, uh, the Grizzlies, the only winless team. They're 0-6, a couple bad losses, including an OT loss yesterday to the Trailblazers, the two worst teams in the league. I had the Grizzlies as high as fourth in the Western Conference in my preseason predictions. That was without Jar, but not without Stephen Adams. That's been a massive, massive loss for them. Uh, anyone want to touch on the Grizzlies before we speak about the Celtics? Yuri, we'll go to you first. I think the biggest part for the Grizzlies, Alex, this season is, well, including yesterday's OT loss, which I was able to watch against the Portland Trailblazers, was they started Jaron Jackson Jr. at centre, and he didn't get into foul trouble for the first time in goodness knows how many games right now. So I think he picked up two fouls for the entire game, and he had, I think it was like, at the top of my head as well, the stat line was like close to like 30 points, like 13 rebounds or something, and he's 
overall just contributions on both the defensive and offensive end were really pivotal, right? Because Memphis should have won that game, right? They were up 100 to 90 in the last three minutes. They defended extremely well. And then, unfortunately, they just really collapsed down the stretch. And it's sort of inexcusable. And everyone knows, right, in terms of the three-point shooting, where it becomes really obvious in a way that teams can trim back deficits, even when they're faced how much emphasis there is on the three ball. And that was a real issue. I think Memphis had those breakdowns late as well. And unfortunately, Luke Kanakun, yeah, he shot up, shot up as well because that absolutely stupendous block from Shaden Sharp, right, which he swatted into, what, the fifth row of the motor centre. So I think for the Grizzlies as well, just those other losses as well definitely hasn't helped in terms of like further personnel. With Derek Rose didn't play as well in the loss to the Trailblazers. So that was another significant subtraction to an already depleted roster. So oh, I, mean, I think this is the Derek most... Rose, who's got to be like 43 years old at this point in time. <laughs> That's pretty slim pickings. Like even Luke Kennard, who shot uh, north of 46% in the league from three last year, he's shooting 14% from the floor this year. Now, granted, three games, small sample size. Uh, this team's really, really struggling. Desmond Baines, the only bright spot outside of Jaron Jackson Jr., I think. Uh, Tom, sorry, Baines scoring 26 a game. Tom, have you had much chance to watch Marcus Smart on his new team? I I haven't had a huge chance. I've seen highlights and I've seen stats. And look, he's done he's done all right. I saw that one play against Luca where uh, you know Luca ended up getting the getting the ability to call the timeout despite the fact that Smart had actually pinned the ball to him. But I just think as the Grizzlies as a whole, we all sort of thought they've done well without Jar in the past. They should do well enough to at least you know float while he's there. But as soon as Adams went out, that was a big red flag for these guys. And now, what, 0-6, it's pretty hard to get back to 500 when you're six games under. And look, the play-in, is this is what it's designed for. I mean, not for suspensions, but for players missing out through injuries. And they can come back and they can still Great make point. a run at the playoffs. And I expect the Grizzlies to still make a run at the playoffs, even if it is as a 10 seed. And if you're a 1 seed, even if you're Denver in the 1 seed, you don't want to see this Memphis team in the playoff series. You, who knows what will happen? Yuri, quickly, any more on the Grizz before we go to the Celtics who are undefeated? So this is Memphis's worst start since the 2002-2003 season when they lost their first 13 in a row. So it's unfamiliar territory right for the Grizzlies who've normally been probably this early on at least 4-2 and two or 5-1 and one to start the season. So again, they're really murky waters at this but point alone. They've got a alone, couple but- easier games coming up. So I don't know if you're going to get to this point, you, but they've got the Blazers again tomorrow, then the Heat, then the Jazz before a bit of a tough stretch. So maybe they could pick up a win. Well, you- well, Utah absolutely pasted them not long ago as well, <laughs> Alex. They <laughs> absolutely annihilated them from the three-point arc. And they just they almost look like just chopped up ribbons in the way. They were scattering all around the court there at Viv and Smart Arena and – Fortunately, they just completely, yeah, just got blitzed a lot too. And so that's not going to be an easy game against the Jazz. And normally those games between the two teams probably a decade ago were always very low scoring, of course, with the grit and grind of the Memphis Grizzlies back then. And Utah Jazz were a completely different outfit as well when Tyrone Corbin was their coach all those years ago. I'm just looking ahead of that too. So if they don't pick up wins against the Trailblazers or the Jazz, these are their next opponents. I've, I've scrolled too far, sorry. So we've got the Blazers, the Heat, the Jazz, and then it's Clippers, Lakers, Spurs, Celtics. So if they don't win one of the next two or three, it's a tough road ahead. Uh, let's stick to the Celtics, Tom. They are oh, and excuse me, 5-0. and oh. I had noted it's a bit of an easy schedule. Wins against the Pacers, the Wizards, and the Nets today um, really pushed it in the fourth against the Nets. 
Good wins um, against opening night. Who was that? The Knicks? I, I Knicks, can't remember. Yeah. Knicks and one other good win that's escaping Heat. my memory at the moment. Tell me about the Celtics. What have you seen? It's it's clicking better than I think any Celtics fan had imagined. Um, Porzingis, credit to him, has just really accepted his role and I've never seen him look so happy. And it's, <laughs> it's sort of like, it, it's funny because you would have thought with Luca he would have sort of accepted a, a, a second star role there and at least clicked, but he never really did. Whereas here, if he takes seven shots a night and we're up by 40 points, he's happy. And if he has to take 20 shots a night and we, we win by 10 points, he's happy. Like He just accepted that role and he's flourishing. Drew Holiday nearly had a triple-double today. He was one rebound shy. He's clicked on you know, all facets of the game. And playing with Tatum and Brown has just elevated him. And Tatum's still scoring 30 points a night, but it yeah. doesn't feel like he's you know having to do anything compared to what he had to do last year and the year before. And it's, it's sort of the old saying, like you don't know how good you've got it or how bad you've got it until it gets good. And you know just looking back at the team that we had even in the finals, when you look at it, on offense, it was Tatum, Brown, and then sort of it was a big gap. And then it was Smart, Horford, Rob Williams. And you sort of had to rely on one of them just to have a really big night. Whereas now, Tatum, if he's not having a great game, congrats, Brown. You're about our number one guy. If both of them aren't having a great game, you got Pozingas. And if all else fails, you can go to Drew Holiday. And if all four of those guys who have made all-star teams don't O'Shea play well... O'Shea <laughs> I was going more in the Derek White direction, who you know had 28 against the Heat the other day, and he's he's having heat checks. Derek White's having heat checks yeah, when they're going it's in. Ridiculous! And it's ridiculous. And look, I'm I'm loving life. I'll, I have to admit, I'm I'm loving this. But look, it, it's only a matter of time until something happens and there's an injury. I mean, hey, Derek hey, White. Hey, is, hey. Let's get that negative talk it, out of here. I don't want to jinx it, but I mean, Derek White missed today's game, but that was just because his wife was giving birth. Um, but again, the depth was a little bit exposed today. Pritchard had to play a bit more, and it didn't matter because it was against the Nets on the second night of a back-to-back. Mm. But had that been against a more important team, like we have the Timberwolves in a couple of days, and he might not play then, we'll see what happens. But for now, I'm loving it. Jules, Celtics thoughts? I, I It might be jumping the boat here a little bit or just uh, you know overreaching. We here, may I actually... have lost Julian. Go ahead. Hey guys, am I back now? You're back. Sorry, I froze for a second there. No, I, it, and funnily enough, I might want to take back what I said as well, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's probably one of the best Celtics teams I've ever seen in the first few weeks. And not necessarily because of the names that they have. They've had some big names in the past with the Paul Pierce Garnett era, but it's probably one of the most well-rounded teams we've ever seen, I reckon. If you consider how good they are on offense, as Tom just mentioned, that you know, all the way down to Derek White, but also the the defense as well, you know, Drew Holiday, Derek White blocking the ball. Like his guards, they are both fantastic defenders. Paul Zingas with his blocking ability as well. Tatum, I mean, they're just so phenomenal in so many areas of the game. I think it's actually generally one of the most exciting teams that we're going to see for this whole year. And I hope they can just, as Tom said, stay healthy and then we can see some great wins. The only question mark, as Tom said, is I completely agree, is just their depth. You know, Pritchard on the bench and Brissett, I'm not a huge fan of him, to be honest. So um, that's probably the only question mark I have on them. Otherwise, um, super, super big fan of them. All right, Jules, we lost you for a bit there, but I think it's still going to process through. So I'm going to edit this little bit I out. I think so, because everything for me was moving very smoothly. So I reckon that's uh, it's going to go through. Well, so well, what's just... important is you said he agreed with me. We got that part. <laughs> just cut there. That's fine. <laughs> I can't All right, stay it in. <laughs> uh, we might just move on quickly to the in-season tournament, the first on our news recap. Yuri, I didn't ask you prior to today's recording to lead this conversation, but why not? The in-season tournament commenced this week. 
Um, lots to talk about the City Edition jerseys, the new courts, the standard nights. So they're playing Tuesday, Fridays, which is Wednesday, Saturdays in Australia. Every game on those nights for the next five weeks, I believe, will be in-season tournament games. Yuri, how do you feel about the tournament? Well, I think it's more a driving motivation for some players because from all reports and from I think some sort of survey that I was conducted is that there tends to be a lull in between like November and December and there's sort of those yes, intrinsic there is. I've been doing this 13 years, Yuri. I've been watching yes. NBA basketball every yep. day for 13 years and there is no reason <laughs> I should give a shit about anything in November. So this is... <laughs> yes, those intrinsic levels of motivation tend to die down, which is very unusual, right? When you're getting paid millions per season to strap on the basketball shoes and step onto the court and hoop for 48 minutes. So that's a little bit surprising, but... It's more a matter of fact on the courts, right? Because they look so completely different, right? It's just the bright red of Chicago Bulls against the Nets yesterday, which was able to watch at least probably a quarter of half of that. The Dallas and Denver game as well, which the Nuggets home floor at Bowl Arena. That was just as bright blue as it gets. And I think the commentary all around the courts was pretty sort of hit and miss. At the I'm, best of times I'm as well. I'm so, so glad you brought this up because there's so much to talk about with the in-season tournaments, <laughs> but the courts is the dumbest thing to talk about and also exactly what I want to talk with you guys. These courts, the second I turned the television on yesterday and I watched half of this game on my phone at the gym for the Warriors-Thunder game, a fantastic game, a bit of a bummer ending, 141 to 139, the Warriors beat the Thunder. Bright blue courts, and I went, what the hell is this? And then within 30 seconds, I loved it. I was so in love with the presentation. It's instantly recognizable. You turn on the TV, oh, in-season tournament night. Oh, I can switch between everything and there's new courts in every single game. The jerseys and the courts didn't always go together that much. But I think as like, this is one of the smallest, dumbest changes they could have made. And somehow it's working amazingly for me. Tom, Jules, your thoughts? Yeah, I unfortunately was out all day yesterday, so I didn't get to watch any of the games. I got to watch any of the games live, but I saw I saw photos, I saw highlight clips, and look, it looked good. And you know, not to not to spoil my my segment later in the show, but I will be in attendance at the Celtics' first in season tournament game on uh, Saturday. I think it is Australia time, uh, and so look, I'll be able to see what it's like in person. Um, but honestly, I'm kind of a bit bummed that the first game I'm going to, I'm not going to have the iconic Celtics logo on the center court. So we'll see. That's a good point. Jules, any thoughts on the courts before we keep talking about the in-season tournament? I think, you've lost, I think I've lost you again. That's right. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Not sure what's going on with my connection here. <laughs> um, I, I'm moving, but uh, you guys aren't. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I had the same reaction as you, Alex, when I saw the court. I wasn't a, I wasn't a big fan. But unlike you, I, I stayed uh, not a huge fan. <laughs> it. It just, for me, it just took a while to get used to. I think it's one of those things where I'll probably get used to it the more I watched. But for me, like I couldn't tell where the three-point line was it, it just yeah it wasn't for me okay i'm just gonna move on <laughs> yeah, sorry I, I finished my sentence about three minutes ago <laughs> look if i haven't edited this part of the we've, we're not on zoom today we're on a new platform apparently we can edit all the silence out so if you didn't hear any silence i'm a fantastic genius as an editor uh we're gonna move right along i can't wait to talk more about the in-season tournament my only thing is it's currently called the in-season tournament cup have they got a, a proper name for it in the uh, WNBA, it's called the Commissioner's Cup. The commissioner of the NBA is Adam Silver. I think there's a 95% chance this gets renamed to the Silver Cup as soon as Silver retires. I think, one, the uh, Larry OB at the end of the year is gold, so Silver works great, but also naming after a commissioner. 
leave David Stern to something better than this terrible um, new thing. All right. Other news around the league, Orlando Magic Center Wendell Carter Jr. is going to miss the next three weeks after he's got a broken finger and um, the win over the Jazz. Thanks, Yuri, I think, for pointing that one out. The San Antonio Spurs shooting guard, Devin Vassells, also day-to-day. He hurt his groin against the Suns. I actually missed how that happened, but he's having um, a wonderful end of season last year. We've talked about him on the show. I think he averages almost 20 points a game this year on like 53% shooting. Um, explosive, too, in like half-court offense. Uh, the James Harden trade, I think we might pause here just to talk about. Um, he was quoted as saying after being traded to the Clippers, I am not a system player. I am a system. James, I think that might have been half the problem. Um, Yuri, Tom, Jules, have at it. Oh, yeah. So that was pretty perplexing to say the least. And now the whole sort of issue going forward is Russell Westbrook's role, right? Because here's the starting point guard. He's been the starting point guard since he got drafted back in 2008. And, of course, apart from that half a season with the Lakers starting as basically their sixth man and now having to accept the role of sixth man or seventh man once more because Norman Powell, of course, is the Clippers' sixth man. Just wonder how he's going to take it, though, Russ, too, and the minutes that he's going to play. That's the real interesting part to this whole sort of dynamic now. And I think we've seen... Too many times, right, over the years with super teams when you try and lock and load and go all in for a championship, right? We can talk about the Nets from 2020, 21, the Brooklyn Nets of 2013, 14. There's so many other teams, right, that have built these sort of, you could so-called super team, big three, big fours, and have just completely catapulted to smithereens. And it's really just sort of the throw all your eggs in one basket if you're the Clippers, right? Because this is what they were hoping for when they signed Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in the summer of 2019, right, to go all the way. And they had that chance in the bubble in the first season, although they completely flunked the 3-1 lead over the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference semifinals. But in terms of the point guard position as well for the Clippers, right, since James Harden was aside more of the point guard duty roles when Mike D'Antoni gave him the keys to the offense in 2016-17, his passing's always been super elite. And he always picks the right spots on the floor to find his teammates. That's not the issue. And that's the thing, though, the Clippers haven't really had in terms of a point guard who seriously can size up every single part of the floor with exceptional floor court vision. And they've had Reggie Jackson, who was a solid point guard. He's a good facilitator, good scorer. But in terms of sort of the level with him and Harden, in terms of on the passing ability, Harden definitely surpasses that. And that's definitely an area that the Clippers really need in terms of the half-court offense when tends to get into a real grind and they're not the most quickest in terms of pace out of the 30 teams. I think that's what will really help them at least get into early offense and at least create those easy open opportunities, whether from beyond the arc or whether from the mid-range for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So something to look out there for. Jules and Tom, any other thoughts on the Clippers? I thought they'd been pretty good, honestly, this year. A couple easy wins against the Blazers. Uh, blew out the Spurs by 40. Unlucky to lose yesterday, I think it was in OT, or maybe two days ago against the Lakers. Didn't really think they needed James, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. It's, you know, it's just, it's it's amazing. I mean, Harden, Kawhi, Paul George and Westbrook on the same team. 2017 on... championship contenders. Oh, you stolen my joke, <laughs> Alex. You, I had that ready. I was being, I was getting all dramatic and I was getting my acting skills up. I was, I was going to say it was unstoppable and then I uh, look at a calendar and go, wait, it's not 2017. I Apologies. Mean, none of these four guys have had a solid playoff run since 2019. 
three out of four of these guys are notable playoff jokers and are all injury prone. <laughs> and I just don't see why the Clippers thought, hey, let's go and get a guy on an expiring contract and give up two more first round picks for this. I just am dumbfounded. It doesn't make sense to me. I love this for the Sixers. The Sixers have gone and gotten themselves two first-round picks that they can easily package up with a Tobias Harris expiring contract or a few other contracts and get themselves a third genuine star to pair with Embiid and Maxi. Hats off to Daryl Morey. I didn't think he'd be able to get more than one first-round pick. He's gotten two. And not only are they two first-round picks, they're in five and six years when who knows what the Clippers will be. I mean, Kawhi will be probably long gone and same with Paul George. And it would just be the Clippers in their new arena where Steve Ballmer went on TV and said it's all about watching the basketball. And it's a shame that a bunch of G-leaguers and late second-round picks are going to be playing in that arena because that's all that's all that's going to be there. You know, people will come to, to watch the other team, basically. So I hate this for the Clippers, love this for the Sixers, and good luck to good luck to James Harden and Russell Westbrook and their third team together because, you know, if it doesn't work two times, can always work the third. That's how things go, isn't it? I don't know. I think I have anything else to add to that. <laughs> that that, that, that rant sums it up really well. Yuri? Yeah, I definitely think as well. It's so similar to what the Nets underwent in before they moved to the Barclays Centre and, of course, relocating from New Jersey to Brooklyn, right? They start building that Barclays Centre from, I think it was April 2011 was the first parts of the construction and really build this new arena to really sort of galvanise the whole of Brooklyn and sort of acquired Joe Johnson right in, I think it was July 11, 2012, which they acquired him and get those big name stars, the so-called, they used it at the time, Brooklyn, the best backcourt in the NBA, him, um, Joe Johnson, Darren Williams at the time, and bring guys like Gerald Wallace and Reggie Evans and Brooke Lopez, of course, was drafted by the Nets back in 2008. And they really wanted to bring this whole sort of enlightenment, I think, and sort of really bring out the stars on show. And that's sort of what, of course, the Clippers are undergoing this stage when they move to New Arena from what next season. It's exactly what the Nets did a decade ago. So sort of, you could say, similar parallels in that regard. But it's sort of really fascinating to sort of see what they're trying to do and sort of move away from being, everyone knows again, the little brother of the Los Angeles Clippers and forge their own identity in terms of having a new arena as well and, and all that. So that's what really sort of pr- has really pricked up the curiosity, I think. Okay. Uh, I'm so excited to move on to our next segment where we just talk about Victor Wembanyama and Chet Holmgren and the last week for each of these guys. Uh, this was the main thing I wanted to log on today and talk to you guys. Over this beautiful Riverside chat, Victor Wembanyama had a 38-point game. So let's get to um, the three previous games for all of these guys. I'm the only one who picked uh, Chet Holmgren as Rookie of the Year ahead of the season. You three all picked Wemby. Wemby in a uh, Clippers loss, blown out by 40 points. Uh, 11 points, five rebounds, two assists, one block, one steal. Bounced back the next game against Phoenix in a one-point win, 18 points, eight rebounds, four blocks. Really turned it in late. Backup game, third game, uh, sorry, Second game against Phoenix, 10-point win, 38 points, 10 rebounds, 2 blocks, 15 of 26 from the floor, and 50% from 3 on 6 attempts. Just talk to me about Wemby because he's been unreal. I just I put together a video yesterday. It's every single rebound, assist, block, steal, or point that Wemby Yama has scored in these first five games. It goes for 17 minutes, and I've just uploaded it to YouTube so I can watch it on repeat and Chromecast it to my TV because I am enthralled with Victor Wemby Yama. Take it away. Oh, likewise too, Alex. And the game against the Suns, I think it was the second meeting, I think, between the teams as well. He had that 
incredible left-handed dunk from basically the free throw line. He basically outstretched his left arm and threw it over. I think it was Yusuf Nurkic, if I'm not mistaken, as well. And it's just those sort of absolutely incredible athletic players that he brings to the court. And I think this is where the whole sort of moving to towards the big man is sort of really sort of transpired over the years as well. When, especially when Kevin Garnett came into the league back in 1995, it was a whole evolution of what the power forward or center should really be. Guys that can ball handle, of course, dribble up the court 94 feet, but also be exceptional passes and everything else to it and really bring this whole new level of dynamic athleticism. But his is almost to another spectrum right now, Alex, and that's what's most frightening for the teams that have already faced him. Phoenix have already faced him twice and have had no answer whatsoever. And it's something that I think is really cool in a way too is that it's almost as though every time he has the ball as well that he can just shoot over the top. And it was spoken about with Kristaps Porzingis, right, when KP came into the league back in 2015 is that for guys seven foot three, he'll be out easily shoot over the top of opposing guys who are even six eight, six foot nine. Wembenyama is what two hundred twenty four centimeters, and yes, he's old, only ninety five kilos. But the way he just operates, though, from the low block, then also from mid range as well, but also three point line, he's especially just covered the everything synergy. Theory. The way he yeah. averages uh, operates from every end of the floor on offense, which was supposed yeah. to be his negative coming into the league. It's crazy. Mm. The synergy as well between him and Trey Jones. That's the other part, yeah. which we've already talked about numerous times, and it's just gone from strength to strength. And this is something that's really great for the Spurs as well, is just having, of course, that focal point down the stretch, which they haven't had for probably the last two or three seasons, unless, of course, you're Keldon Johnson and taking the game over. I think also one other stat to sort of take upon as well is that him and David Robinson are the only two Spurs rookies to have 35-plus points in a game. So that's something as well, just in the static statistical regard. Tom, Jules, Wemby. Yeah, it uh, reminds me of this time that I used to play pickup basketball. Um, uh, school holidays, all the boys would go down to one of the big basketball stadiums and then people would just challenge each other to games. And I remember this one time, because um, I'm quite short and I play as a point guard, but I remember once me and my uh, 30-year-old mates were playing basketball and a group of under-10s challenged us. And they were fantastic dribblers, fantastic shooters, but they were just tiny. And I think I remember feeling like a giant compared to them. And I think that's exactly how Victor must feel when he plays, plays in the NBA. He can get any shot he wants at any point. Standing next to Durant, he made Durant look like a little kid. And um, what we can't forget is that within five games, five games it took him to score 38 points and he's already got well, maybe about 10 blocks or so in his first five games. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And um, there's no no um, surprise that he's gone from, what, $1.80 down to $1.28 for Rookie of the Year. I think we all pretty much all call it. I think Alex just just a bit different. But we'll, we'll get to <laughs> Chet in a second. You knew we'll deep down, Alex. You knew deep down. We'll get, <laughs> I'm a tetrosexual. I'm a tetrosexual. <laughs> we'll get to him in a second. Tom, thoughts on Wemby? Uh, look, you've covered it all, but uh, it's not not breaking news uh, I've got for you here. But he's really good, uh, and I'm scared to think about what he'll be like in five years' time. I mean, I, we knew he was going to come in the league and he was going to be good from the get-go, but I don't think we thought he was going to be this good. And to think he's doing what he's doing and he's only averaging 28.6 minutes per game and he hasn't even put on any bulk yet, he's going to be so scary. Even in next year, he's probably going to be even scarier after a full season in the league. So... 
let's see what happens. But, you know, just a quick side note, Porzingis uh, walked so Wemby could run. That's that's all I have to say. <laughs> I love that. I do like that. Um, look, speaking of Chet, his last three games in a win against Detroit, 14 points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals, four blocks, um, only shot five times, all from three, made four of them. Then in a four-point loss to the Pelicans, 19 points, 11 rebounds, one steal, two blocks, was 18 of four, uh, sorry, excuse me, eight of 14 from the floor. And then in that heartbreaking loss to the Warriors yesterday, 24 points, eight rebounds, five assists, one steal, one block, seven of nine from the floor, two of two from three. He shoots four threes a game currently at 56%. Now, given start of the season, it's a small sample size. I get that. The things that Chet does better than Wemby seem to be second chance points that aren't just a gimme because Wemby's so tall he can get there, but cutting through, finding space, he's unreal at shot selection. Like I want him to shoot more and he just doesn't. And I think maybe that's a detriment long-term, but the the Thunder have got so much young talent at the moment that I'm happy for that. And he's low-key really great at getting guys going up for the layup. He can rip through it and strip. Um, I'm not ready to say Chet's been better through five games than Wemby has been, but it's a conversation for me. Um, I've probably watched a little bit more Thunder than I have for the Spurs. I'd be really interested to see your thoughts as well and see if that's just me because I love watching the Thunder play and Chet's Chet does more for the Thunder than I think he, uh, Wemby does for the Spurs. Wemby raises their ceiling, um, but Chet plays within the system that the Thunder have got going so well already. He's composed, he's mature, he's not taking and launching ill-advised threes. Like Wemby shoots 32% from the season on more attempts. Uh, the floor is open to talk to me about Chet. I might, I might jump in and just say, I, I, yeah, it's it's actually a really good debate, Alex, as much as we've all been pumping up Wemby. But I've watched the um, OKC Warriors game, and one thing I noticed about Chet is he's, he's very, he seems like a very humble team player. Like a lot of the um, time, he, he sets off the ball screens, and he's really, like they put the ball in his hands, and then he sets screens for Giddy and stuff to drive around him. And he looks like he's got really good basketball IQ, and he's really unselfish. That's just what I've noticed from watching him. And I think like that's probably the angle that you're talking about and, and, and how big his influence is for the Thunder. And yeah, that's just something I definitely picked up watching. And um, yeah, I, I definitely think the debate's there. And funnily enough, I think Wednesday, November the 15th, Australian time, that is when the Spurs versus the OKC Thunder. So that is going to be a huge one to block out in the calendar. When did you say that was? Wednesday, Wednesday the, 15th? the 15th of November, Australian time. Day off. I've got the day off work. a.m. I definitely <laughs> did mark that off right for this matchup. <laughs> I'll be uh, watching that one live as well, I think. Tom, Yuri, talk to me about Chip. I think as Julian nailed on the head, Alex, is Wemby's – no, not Wemby, Chet Holmgren's composure. And even the game against the Cavaliers when the Thunder were facing a double-digit deficit in the last three minutes of the game, and he took that – I think it was the transition three, which the Thunder rebounded and just without any hesitation whatsoever, just let it fly. And it's those sort of moments of confidence that as well that – it's not just within the interior, which he operates so well. That's on the outside, which he's really efficient at too, which helps so much complement what the Thunder want to do with Shay Gilgis Alexander taking less threes, of course, only attempting, what, two or th- two and a half, three-point attempts per game. Josh Giddy as well getting to the basket. Then you have Jalen Williams there too, who operates on both sides of the floor. So it's a real interesting sort of dynamic with what the Thunder do have within their starting five. And Lou Dort, of course, who is the team's number one lockdown defender. So they've got a really interesting nucleus as well. And we've already spoken about from last season as well, from what they did right to from, what, 23 wins the year 
from the season before in 2021-2022 to get to 40 wins, beat the Pelicans in a playing tournament, then lose to the Minnesota Timbulls for the eighth and final spot in the Western Conference playoffs. But I think this season alone is where the whole next step, I think they've really got going to, and so just building those sort of habits, which they've already done right for three seasons, but really putting it all in picture, especially when Chet misses the entirety of last season due to that broken foot, which really did sort of, you could say, may take a backward step in terms of getting him involved within chemistry-wise of how the team wants to run on both ends of the floor. But it's just though he's just completely fitted seamlessly in back into the system and back into what Coach Mark Dadnold has done really well, right, to basically what everyone else has really tended to ignore about the Thunder, what they've been building for at least since probably... Chris Paul leaving right at the end of, what, 2020 yeah. to Phoenix Suns. Yeah, and the Clippers trade getting SGA. Uh, Tom, anything you want to say about Chet, and then you can move on to your performance of the week. I'm going to go more as just a thunder side of things. They need to push all these chips in the middle of the table right now. Anything can happen. I mean, we all thought the Grizzlies were going to be competing for years, and now they're on six. And yes, there's circumstances behind it, but still, that can happen to anyone. They've got the assets. They have so many draft picks. Chet and Giddy and both Jalen Williams and Pokerchewski are all on rookie scale contracts. It's a prime position for them to now put their all their draft picks in and they've got tradable contracts and go for another star player who can help them win right now. I mean, after the show, guys, go and play with them on Trade Machine. They are the funnest team to play as because <laughs> they literally, you can trade for anyone. They, they've got the contract because they've got that Bertans contract, which just fits in nicely at 17 mil, I think. And you can pick another player. And they might have to sacrifice someone like Lou Dort, but they can trade for him. And these are, these are just the list of players that I managed to successfully trade for uh, that I think could potentially help them win right now. But it's Siakam, DeRozan, Levine, Randall, Bridges, Ingram, Jeremy Grant. Like It's guys that you could definitely foresee a circumstance where the team has to end up fire-selling some people. And okay, so you can go and get the them. And yeah, exactly, exactly. The Bulls are primed for it. I mean, DeRozan with that mid-range game to go with SGA and yeah, then Chet the on the side. The only thing about DeRozan is in expiring, so you, you're really not, banking well, on that. That's the thing that you don't have. You probably won't have to give up as many picks. Maybe yeah. only have to give up one or two of those first-round picks instead of six for someone who's on a higher contract. But I, I just I think this team is too good to sort of be like not in that upper echelon of teams at the moment. I think they can take it to anyone on a given night, and. I, why wait? I mean, I, I, I saw my Celtics wait several years to, before pushing their chips in and it's paying dividends at the moment. So I think some thunder should go all out, all out. All right. We'll stick with you, Tom. Your performance of the week, I guarantee you it is not someone from the Oklahoma City Thunder. No, it I've is got the script. not. I've got the script. You do have the script. Uh, it, look, it was, it was LeBron James against the Clippers uh, the other day, which, you know, it really does put into perspective just how crazy it is that a 39-year-old, a soon-to-be 39-year-old is doing this. But 35 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 blocks, 1 steal. Played 42 minutes, but pulled out the win in overtime and was 13 of 19 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3. And, you know, I, I can't believe that a guy who's that old and has been in the league for this long is still, like, the number one option on a team, let alone being relied on so much to win. I mean, the moment he got taken off in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden it went from looking quite comfortable to game was in jeopardy and he had to come back in. So 
I think it's one to watch for the Lakers. It might be a concern for a team that's supposedly in the championship conversation, but honestly, I, I have to just enjoy LeBron. And as much as it hurts me to see him doing it in a Lakers jersey, I, you just have to admire what he's, what, he's, what he's doing. Yuri, performance of the week from you? Got Jalen Brunson's 45 points yesterday against the Milwaukee Bucks. and I missed that. It was just, the Brunson scored 45. Yeah, yeah, 45. So he has it's his fifth 40-point game as a New York Knicks, which now ties Stefan Marbury for most 40-point games. Well, Patrick Ewing, of course, holds the record with 30. Then I think it's Kamal Anthony with 17. And Bernard King, I think out of the top of my head, has nine 40-point games in his career. I may be wrong, so don't probably count me on that. But he was just incredible yesterday, right? Some of that nifty dribbling that he does, right? And the, some of the pump fakes, I think it was a third, in the third quarter, he pulled out a pump fake on Pat Connaughton, which you probably think, Pat, just don't fall for that pump fake, which he did. And then Brunson just pulled up for... I think it was a 17 or 18 footer. And it's just so effortless with him, right? And we saw during the 2022 playoffs when Luca missed, I think it was the first couple of games in the opening round series against Utah due to that injury. And he scored 41 points in the Mavericks game two win. And then last season, of course, he scored a career high 48 points against the Cavs on March 31. And it's just those performances, right? Where down the stretch as well. And when you need a big time basket, Jalen Brunson delivers 99% of the time, and that was the case. He put the Knicks ahead 103-101 as well with that three and basically silenced the whole faster forum crowd. And I think there was one time where he was like blowing kisses to the crowd because someone was really agitating him. So he almost had the last laugh in that aspect. But his just overall game, right, it's just it's really smooth as. And I think there was a real part as well to how the Knicks wanted to expose Damian Lillard on – pick and rolls was they brought Quinton Grimes up. So it was almost that one, two pick and roll switch. And to switch Grimes, should I say from, yeah, Grimes on Lillard and then switch it so that Lillard would have to guard Brunson. And Jalen just absolutely took him to school on those number of drives to the basket. And there was even one there, I think, during the last quarter as well, which he drove to rim. And there was about three guys there just in the interior and somehow was able to get a shot over them. So, it's just he's incredibly deft, no matter what from downtown or from the mid-range or from the basket. It's those whole different facets which he brings. And in terms of having a reliable shooter, he's super reliable because Julius Randle's really had his struggles to start this season as well. Of course, he had, I think it was ankle surgery and Tom Thibodeau spoke about as well. So it was going to take Julius a bit of time to to acclimate himself back in once more. And, of course, I think there was another part which Tib said about Randle is that when he's not getting his shots to fall, that's why he tends to force it. So that's something that just needs to take a little bit of a step back as well and allow Jalen to really cook because we've seen it so many times now, Alex. Jules, your performance of the week. I'm going to go with Anthony Edwards today against the Utah Jazz. He had 31 points, uh, eight rebounds, six assists and one steal. But it was just one of those games where they had no answer for him. He was pulling up from wherever he liked, really, and, and making the majority of his shots. And he is my 2025-26 MVP pick, so just jump in the gun <laughs> early so we can save this video in the archives. But no, I'm, I'm really starting to like how he's controlling that offense now, and he's looking phenomenal, averaging 20 Jules, we might stick with you as we move on to our final segment. Um, your stat line of the week, and uh, let's hope this works. 
Awesome. Thank you for that. So, stat line of the week by Mojo Sports Network. We try and honor a player that has excelled in every single category. Points, uh, field goal percentage, three-pointers, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. And that goes to none other than our favorite, Joel Embiid, against the Trailblazers. 35 points, 12 out of 22 from the floor, two threes, 15 rebounds, seven assists, two steals, and six blocks. It doesn't really get any better than that. Now, our final... Or penultimate segment, because we always have this fantasy segment. Tom, you're a lucky boy. Are you aware of this? I am aware of this. <laughs> uh, Tom, <laughs> you're going uh, stateside for a, a small traveling experience. We call this segment Tom's Travels. I don't have a transition for you. Where are you going? What's going on? Ma- hang on. Yes. Tom's Travels. There you go. There you go. That's that's quite handy. Uh, yes, no, going going over to America for a month, uh, basically just to watch basketball. Which non basketball people are looking at me a bit bit weird, but you guys are probably understand it. Um, but no, so I'm starting off in in Boston, and uh, I'll just read you off the games because that's probably what you're most interested in. That's but, exactly uh, first, what I want to know. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the first the first uh, week that I'm there, I'm seeing uh, Nets, Celtics, Raptors, Celtics, Knicks, Celtics, Celtics at the Sixers. Which, if I make it out alive, I'll be thankful. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I just happened to be in Washington one night while the Wizards were on, so I thought let's uh, lower my standards a little bit. And I'm seeing Knicks at Wizards. So Jordan Poole and Carl Kuzma masterclass, hopefully for me. They both Fantastic. got for forty and a thirty point loss. Um... <laughs> I, I, I'll take that. Yeah, that, that's incredible. So we don't know if you're going to be on the show for the next couple of weeks. We'll try and make some stuff work um, for those listening at home. I'm sure you'll have plenty to say, even if it's... We'll figure it out is what we're saying. None of us are good at planning, but we'll figure it out. Um, very jealous. So, um, yeah. I just want to say very jealous again because I'm doubly jealous. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll throw one quick question to you guys. I, uh, I have I have decided to buy another Celtics jersey, but I've decided that I've got too many Jason Tatum ones. And... There's a lot of options. Oh, uh, what player Brissett. I should buy? I don't think they sell Brissette ones at the store, if I'm being honest with you. But uh, oh, I'm tossing up between Porzingis, Brown, White, Holiday, and even Horford. So if you guys have any suggestions, I'm all here for it. Just get a Drew Holiday Guernsey. Oh, of course That's you'd a good say pick. that. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> there's danger with the Porzingis jersey. I don't, I don't hate it, but there's danger there. There's a safer option in our Horford. Two-time Celtic, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, Am I wrong? That, that sounds right. No, no, he's been, he's been, he's, you know, he, tra- he, he was a trader for a few years when he went to the Sixers, but he saw the light again and we trade back for him and he, <laughs> there you and he go. signed a good... You can say, no, no, this one's from 2018, so you've got a bit of extra cred there. That's true, that's true. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you guys updated, that's for sure. All right, final segment. Um, this season, we run a fantasy league. We had a disastrous draft. If you haven't seen it, don't. It's up on YouTube. Not worth watching because I didn't know what I was doing. It's completely a disaster. Um, ben, the CEO, sorry, COO of Mojo, he's listening today as a producer on the call. He apologized to me via text for how bad it was. I said, no, no, that's all my fault. It's not your fault in the slightest. Um, last week was week one. The Alex Attentacumbros beat Jack Brophy's Brofs boys. Jack's not with us today because he didn't want to show his face after being spanked in week one. Uh, and Jules's boarding school beat the COO, Benny the Bull. Um, so far in week two, I think we've got a couple of days left of the matchup. Ben's thrashing me and Jules is thrashing Jack. So I, I need to make some adjustments, get rid of Jar Morant. I stashed him away on my bench, but obviously probably a bad thing. All right. Anyone else want to talk about anything else in the league uh, in week two before I sign off? I think more just probably 
with the Minnesota Timberwolves as well and be able to watch some of their games, including the first half against the Jazz. And just how connected they look on the defensive end as well. Alex, there's something actually, that's been yeah, really preached about. I have read a lot about um, Gobert's defense actually picking up quite a bit this season. So let me pick who the Mavs are playing this week, and we can do a little bit of a preview before we go. They're 4-2, and two, and this week their game's coming up as against the Hornets tomorrow. Should be an easy win, although the Hornets showed a bit of spirit late today. Um, then against the Magic then my Raptors, and then an in-season tournament game against the Clippers. So I think they're good enough to go 4-0, and but... Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the Mavericks, not the Minnesota Timberwolves. God, I should have ended I the show. they got Boston at home. I don't know what happened there. All right, I've been doing this too long. I'm 30 years old. I don't have the youth you guys have anymore. Sorry, they've got Boston tomorrow, uh, the They play the Pelicans and then the in-season tournament game against Wemby and the Spurs. All right, so an interesting week for the Timberwolves. It is, and I think alone defensively is something they've really taken pride in. They're the only team through a handful of, what, five or six games that concede less than 100 points per game. They, I think... I think their average is about 99.6 points per game, including holding Utah to 95 points today. They, Although they lost to the Raptors in the season opener, they allowed 97 points. And then, of course, a few other games as well, which they defended exceptionally well. I think it's the biggest thing as well, the Timberwolves, is they've got that length and athleticism on the defensive end to really cause a lot of havoc, and especially having Jaden McDaniels there back in healthy now too, and Anthony Edwards, who's really taking strides as well to be become a better on-ball and off-ball defender. I think we've seen that too, especially right against the game against the Jazz today. When he saw those couple of screens from either Walker Kessler or Laurie Markin in there, that he would fight over the screen and not get caught under it. And that's been a real part of emphasis, I think, within Chris Finch and what he wants to do on the defensive end. And everyone's buying into it. And I think on the offensive end as well, they've really found the spacing nicely between Cat and Gobert. And they're not getting clustered in each other's way, which I think they've really figured out and which that's is the a most real positive thing. for them too. Yeah, that needs to mm. stay if they need to be a threat. Uh, all right. Well, that's another episode of the NBA Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. If you're still here, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple or um, Spotify, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'm done. That fr- that mistake with the Mavs and the t- Minnesota Timberwolves completely frazzled me. I've got nothing left to give today. Um, if you're in the NBL, you can check out Ben's Twitter recaps on Mojo Sports Network's NBL uh, Twitter. Oh, jeez. What do we call it now? X. Look, Yuri, you're on Sports to Get Chronicles. I know that. Jack's not here today. Uh, Tom, any articles coming up? Jules, what do you got going on? I'm somewhere. I'm not here anymore. My brain has left me. Uh, no, nothing coming up at the moment. But you know what? I've got I've got plenty of uh, train journeys between New York and Boston. So I might might start writing up a few articles at the games I go to. So we'll have to see. There you go. Even ben, he's bullying me in our chat on Riverside on the call right now, saying not to drop <laughs> Ja Morant, keep him on the injury reserve list. Because I clearly don't know what I'm doing. Jules, <laughs> uh, anything from you before we go? Oh, like Tom, I'm actually planning a trip to America next year. I've got a friend's wedding in uh, February uh, in America, so we're going to definitely see some NBA games as well. So we'll link up and, uh, yeah, definitely learn the good spots to go to. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me, guys. We'll see you in a couple of days. Great. Cheers, Alex. Cheers, Alex.